All right, thank you. What a song. All right, let's turn our Bibles again to Colossians chapter 4 this morning and appreciate you faithful, being faithful to the house of the Lord and, and uh, this is our theme for next year. We'll be, uh, we'll be looking at the, the thought of, of stand or standing and I think that we live in a time where there's, there's many people who stand for different things. And some who would stand for, uh, for things that probably many of us, even who've lived a little while, would never have thought people would stand on. And there are many things that, that people declare to be their, their creed that when you look at it, it means nothing or of his little value. But I think we'd be, uh, we'd be right to say that God's people, we as Christians, we would be different. We stand on the eternal truths of the Word of God. And regardless really of the opinions of the world, and regardless of the direction that the world is taking, we've got to take our stand on the things of the Word of God. And yet, if we're not careful, we can a little bit at times be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We can be blown by the, 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 different, uh, the different winds of today that are popular and uh, can sometimes cause us to be labeled different things. And yet, this is nothing new to, uh, to, to people who believe in the Word of God. When you think about the, the situation here in Colossians, the, the church in Colossae was, uh, was, was one that was in a, in, a, in a situation where it was populated by a lot of Jews and Gentiles and really was a diverse city with, with competing philosophies that crept its way into the church through, uh, through the different influences around. And what we do know about the book of uh, Colossians in the church in, in Colossae was it was more than likely started by Epaphras, who we read about. He was someone that had, uh, was influenced by Paul through his missionary journeys. And, and Epaphras' motivation to come and see Paul was the fact that error had started to creep into the church and, and into the, the, the life of those believers. And Epaphras, being this faithful minister, realized that he needed Paul's counsel in dealing with this mixing of religion and worldly wisdom. And this city represented the, the worst, really, both of the Jewish and Greek world of thought. And I can't help but be reminded about the, the, the time that we live in now where there's so much access to competing philosophies and competing thoughts that if we're not careful, we can buy into that and allow that to enter into our, our mindsets and our perspective of life. And we can start to very quickly be moved away from the from the, the simplicity of the gospel, we can be quickly moved away and, 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 uh, and blown into different directions of life and, and, and find ourselves really living, living out purposes that uh, aren't, aren't as important as what we see in the Word of God. And so it's this desire that Paul describes that emanating from Epaphras' heart of concern, it was this, this desire to, uh, for them to stand. Notice again in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete 
in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. And so this desire by that, that Paul is now describing as he has sat now with Epaphras there in prison, he, he begins to, to just tell the church there that Epaphras had a great desire for you and that desire is that you would stand. That desire is that you would stand perfect in the will of God and, and not be tossed about and, and, and redirected and sometimes even distracted from the, the, uh, the, the truths that they've learned in the Word of God. And, you know, there's many, uh, many in, in, in today's society that if you look at and you, uh, you, you talk to, they would quite easily at times say that they go to church or, or they, they belong to a faith community somewhat. And, and yet when you observe the way that they're living and you observe the kind of ambitions and the kind of priorities that they have, you, you begin to see that there's a, a, a mixture and a, a little bit of a, a, a drawing away from the reality of the great priorities and purposes that we ought to have as God's people. You, you start to see that there's competing forces there that actually indicate that there's, a, there's maybe something that, that, that they're missing, that they're no longer standing like they should. You know, someone famously said, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And sometimes it's just about defining what you stand for on, defining what your, your stand is about, and, and, and at times re-emphasizing and then just re-owning that stand. And I look around, and there's probably many of you who've been saved for quite a while. There's many who've been part of our church for a long time, some who've come along from different places, and, and maybe you've had a journey for the Lord, and there's many things that perhaps you, you know from the standpoint of experience, but when was it the last time that you just reevaluated and just started to look at where you stood. Where do you stand on certain things? Where do you stand in comparison to the world? And, you know, there's so much that we can learn from where you stand. And, you know, do you, there's a, the, the, the times where perhaps you were in a situation where there was a, a debate, maybe there was some sort, of, uh, some sort of discussion in your workplace or discussion in your, uh, in your educational institution, in your school, and, and someone asks you, where do you, what's your opinion on this? Or what, where do you stand on that? And, you know, we're living in a world where you're so, much, so very much defined and sometimes even persecuted for where you stand. And yet it's so much more, the call is clear, that we do need to take a stand. And, you know, so many times that it is that, it's just coming back to that place of knowing what you stand for. And the challenge is the same for us today in an environment that's increasingly becoming confusing. So much of the world's virtue signaling has infiltrated Christendom. You know, as long as we're appearing, as long as we're saying the right things. But, you know, taking a stand is more than just saying the right things. It's doing the right things. It's, 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 uh, it's showing forth your priorities and your purposes and your ambitions in your life. And all of that has to come with this idea of standing. And, and so I hope that as we think about this and in, as we look at these two verses this morning, uh, it's this with this imperative that we will stand in 2024. Well, you know, when so many are bowing to social pressures and, and many more are bending in the, uh, to the demands of an increasingly confused culture, taking a stand for God's name and His way is what we must do as unpopular as it can be. And Epaphras 
really had a great zeal to see the church stand perfect. And it's my desire also that we would stand in the times in defiance in, to the winds of compromise and confusion. And so how are we going to do that in 2024 as we think about this idea of standing? Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless as we get into the message this morning. Father, we love you. And we want to thank you, dear Lord, for the, the, the reality of the, of the time. We, we understand, dear Lord, that you've brought us to, to this time for, for such a time. And Father, yet we, uh, we understand, Lord, the challenge ahead. And we understand, dear God, that we are in an ever-changing and, uh, and, and ever-regressing world. And Lord, we need to. Uh, Lord, just, uh, just double down on who we are and, and who we ought to be for you. And so I pray that you would please help us as we get into the Word of God this morning. I pray that it'll instruct us. I pray it'll challenge us, dear God. And then I pray that then it'll cause us to be different and cause us to be more determined for our day. And Father, ultimately, dear God, we just want you to get the glory and we want to please you in the season that you've given us. And so I pray that you'd please bless as we open your Word this morning in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And I want you to note, firstly, that it starts with Epaphras. You know, Epaphras, as I mentioned, was, was probably the, the faithful minister or the pastor of the church. And, and yet, when we consider it, he was just an individual, and he was, it was his desire. As he looked at the church and as he understood the, the, competing, uh, the competing forces out there that was pulling away those of the church in Colossae, it was his desire as an individual that they would take a stand. And really, when it comes down to it, when, when we're thinking about standing for truth and standing in our time, it really starts with individuals. It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with, with those in different workplaces and different families and in different communities and uh, those of God's people to, as individuals, take a stand. And, and the Bible tells us in, in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you. He was one of them. He wasn't apart from them. He, he was a part of that body and he had gone to Paul for some encouragement and some instruction and yet Epaphras was one of them. He was part of the church. There, there was no question where he belonged. He belonged with them. And I hope that this morning you would know where you belong. I hope that you as an individual understand firstly who your Savior is, that your Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that because of that, you belong to a group of people called Christians who are far different to the world. The Bible tells us that we've been, uh, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And no longer are we to be similar or even at all recognizable to the world. There's meant to be a difference in us. And the Bible tells us that Epaphras, who was one of you, Epaphras' name simply meant lovely. It was probably that he was a convert of Paul, if we won't take the time, but in Acts chapter 19, Paul was in the area, and no doubt as he preached those, uh, the, in those, that area, uh, Epaphras went back to these tri-cities of Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea, and, and from there spread the word of God, and, and he was a convert of Paul, and, and yet he was, he was one, he was one, and maybe you're thinking this morning, well, what, what's, what am I going to do, what What's my singular influence going to make uh, in, the, in, my, in my workplace, in my school, in my community? I want to tell you it makes all the difference. Because it, it only takes one to make a difference. And I, I'm, I'm thankful this morning, and I praise God for brethren who have, have a great concern for the spiritual well-being and livelihood of others. 
I'm thankful for those who in my life, when I looked around and I saw uh, the, uh, others falling by the wayside, they took a stand for truth and were steadfast and, and stood where they needed to stand on the things of the Word of God. I'm thankful that over the course of my life, there were those who, uh, those who were spiritual leaders in my life who, while, whilst others were taking a softer stance on this and that, they just took a hard stance. And they understood that what was needed was for one to take a stand, although others were falling away. And I hope that you would just be mindful of your, your place in that because we need all the help that we can get. You know, your desire for others to stand can, can only really be taken well if you're one to stand yourself. And I want to say to you, firstly, those of you who are leaders of your home, God's calling you to stand. God's calling you to stand for truth. God's calling you in a time where the other influences are going to infiltrate your homes for you to take a stand and for you to understand your place. And, and, and you know, the reality is there's a cost to it, and that's why so many are bowing out and bending to the whims of today. Because there's a cost. You understand that Epaphras uh, being referred to here, well, the reality was he was in prison with Paul. There was a true cost to him standing. And you know, I think we're, we're living in a time of peace, aren't we? We see other warfares around the world, but here in Australia, there's a great amount of peace still. I think there's things, things coming down the pipeline that'll make it a little bit more difficult to stand, if you, we were just in, uh, in the NBF in Melbourne there and we're speaking with some of the local pastors in Melbourne with a couple of the laws that have been enacted in the last couple of years. There's, there's all of the anti-conversion stuff that's happening over there with regard to, uh, to uh, advising those who ha have a proclivity to, to, to same sex and all of that. And, and there's, there's just this understanding there's a great oppression in the state at the moment. They've come through a really difficult time during the COVID season and they had some of the strictest laws uh, enacted upon churches and they're reeling and they're discouraged. And yet I, I gave great credit to, to those men who still turned up every week and who still stood and who still were there regardless of the cost. And I'm telling you that there's going to come a time where it will matter for individuals to stand. You know, right now in peacetime, it's not so much. Right now, when it's easy to be a Christian, it's not so much. But I wonder when it, time, it comes down to, to the crunch, I wonder if there'll be volunteers who'll just say, hey, I'll stand. You know, because sometimes there's this idea that, you know, we look around and someone else stand first. You know, sometimes we ask for a volunteer, especially, you know, with our young people. We say, any volunteers? And, and they're looking at each other like, you stand. No, no, you stand. And sometimes that's how Christianity looks like today. Sometimes you're looking around and you're just looking for someone to take a stand, to just speak up, to just say something that would just be in contravention to the, to the, to the popular opinions of today. And what we find is we're looking at each other for someone else to stand. And I'm glad Epaphras, who was one of you, he had that heart to take a stand as an individual. You know, he was one of them. He, he was part of the body. He was part of the church. He was the real deal. He wasn't one casting judgment from the outside. No, he was one from within who had a genuine concern. And you know, we can't look outside of the church for change. We've got to look for, for, for those who will stand inside the church. And we've got to look for those who are saved. We've got to look for those who, who will be the real deal. 
and understand the, the, the season that they're in. And, and you know, we, we look around though, and sadly there's more of a highlighting of prominent individuals who are just departing the faith. You know, there's a whole movement today of those who are, are deconstructing faith is what they're calling it. You know, they're looking at the, what they grew up with and they're looking at the, the truths and the absolute truths of the Word of God and, and they're looking how unpopular and difficult that is. And, and then to top it all off, the hypocrisy sometimes of the church. And they're looking at that and they're discouraged and then before long they're, they're, they're just disillusioned and they find themselves just destruct, self-destructing. You know, I think of what the Bible tells us in 1 John 2.19. You know, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all, uh, not all of us. You know, it's easy to stand there and say you're a Christian when it doesn't matter, when nothing's buffeting you, when it doesn't seem to be there's any real cost. And, and yet when the cost comes and when the winds blow and the waves buffet you, that's when... That's when the, those who would stand and be real, those are the, that's the time when it's revealed. You know, I think about a particular one that, that really drew, got my attention because I was one of those that read his books. And this is just from an article from Christianity Today. It says this, love it or hate it. If you grew up in a youth group after 1997, you probably had to reckon with Joshua Harris's book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anyone else read that? I was given that as a gift. Anyway, but it was his treatise on dating and courtship. The book sold millions and made him, uh, in terms of, of, of someone in, the, in, the, uh, in Christianity, an evangelical boy wonder is what they called him. He just came out of nowhere because of this book. And at 29 years old, he became the lead pastor of a Maryland megachurch and a rising star in the Sovereign Grace Ministries. But when the, the ministry, when that movement was torn apart by controversy, conflict, and accusations of a systemic cover-up of child abuse, he found himself reeling. Unsure of his calling and convictions, he left the ministry in 2015. And get this, in 2019, he announced that he no longer identified as a Christian. And there's, there's a lot of those, if you read around, if you're listening a little bit. And there's a highlighting of that. And it's not so much that, that that's, that's never happened before, but in, in a world where there's so much information that can readily be put out there, that's what's highlighted today. But I want to tell you there are those who are individuals in different places who have taken a stand. And I want to tell you that the measure of our authenticity will be our ability to stand when we have to stand out and voice concerned amidst the failures of others and even when it makes it embarrassing to be a Christian. You know, we live in a world where the news coverage will, will cover some of, these, some of these mega movements and some of their inconsistencies. And yet, if you take it from a micro level, if you take it from the fact that you're there in your workplace every week and you're being observed, if you take it to the level of we're sitting there with our families for dinner and we're having conversations and there's real questions that are being put forward and and there's, there's the popular opinion and there's the unpopular opinion. And where are we as individuals? Are, are we going to go with the grain of today, those who would just fall by the wayside or, 
could we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who, when the call put out to bow, as the music began to play, they stood out amongst the crowd. And it came at a cost, didn't it? They got put in the fiery furnace. And yet, what we find is God was with them right there. And there was a fourth man in the fire. And it was likeness, it was, it was like the Son of God. And I want to tell you that if you will take a stand as an individual, then you're not never ever really standing alone. You're going to stand with the Lord. And you're going to stand with His presence right there. But what we see is He was one of them. But notice what the Bible says about this, this one. Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ. He was a servant. And you know, so many times we've got to have to have a right view of ourselves if we're going to take a real stand. And let's not forget that we're not, we're not, uh, we don't live unto ourselves for ourselves or die to ourselves for ourselves. No, we are to be servants of Christ. We're to serve Him. And, and you know, if we're busy serving the Lord, if we're busy with that mindset, often it just comes naturally that we would take a stand. Often it is that we, we take a stand on, on, our, our, on our Lord and his, his opinion and his, his truths in the Word of God. And the, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. And he, you know, he, was, he was talking literally to servants of the day. But, you know, in, in, in reality, God has called us all to be servants. And we're to, to serve not with eye service, not when, it's, not when people are just looking, not as men pleases, not to, not to please others. But actually, we're supposed to serve Christ with all of our heart. And, and, and Epaphras, he could stand as individual and make a call to stand because he was a servant in private. He had integrity. He, he was someone who, in his character, he was known as that. And, you know, grandstanding has no place in the Christian life. It's got to come with substance. It's got to come with the reality of the day today. And I was convicted about that this week. You know, those times that stress has come into life and we become inconsistent. If we're, if we're, if we're just honest with ourselves, there's times where we don't stand. There's times where we feel the pressure of the eyes on us. There's times where we're, we're driving down the road and, you know, we're playing that good Christian music down the road and suddenly someone's next to us and we turn it down. There, there's times where we should have handed out a tract and given the gospel and we didn't. There's times where we, 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 we should have stood out and said, you know, that's not right and we didn't because the crowd seemed so overwhelming. And there's times where we do that and yet, as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You know, how determined are we? And you know what we see here, paired with that, notice again verse 12, so, so he, Epaphras, who is one of your servant of Christ, saluteth you, he greeted them, always laboring. But you notice how he was laboring. Always laboring fervently, notice there, for you in prayers. You know, one of the ways that we can stand is actually in this matter of praying. You know, one of the best ways you can stand as a Christian is by kneeling. Just by kneeling and asking God to, to help and to, to, to help those in our church, to help those who have to take a stand each day in, in different environments. 
they, they go to work and you know that there's great pressure there and there's, there's great conflict there and the real work that you can do is just to pray. And I hope that we would become more and more prayerful as the day is at hand. You know, prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the real work. And if you've ever, if you've ever gone and, and really sought the Lord in prayer for others, you know that's true. You know your flesh doesn't like to pray. Your, your flesh doesn't like to get up early and intercede on the behalf of others. Doesn't like it. Yet the Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit and, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're supposed to, in our spirituality, understand the great power of prayer and, and, and no wonder Epaphras could stand. He was one who just was fervent in his prayer. He could stand because he first kneeled. And many times, it, it, all it takes for us to, to truly take a stand for that day is to come to a place where we're, we're zealous and we're fervent in prayer. You know, sometimes, sometimes in my estimation, sometimes there's times where I, I catch myself just going through the motions of prayer. You know, you've been saved a little while, you know what to say. You know, you know you should pray. But you know, it's better for us that we have a fervency in our prayer. I hope that you have a I hope you have a fire in your prayer. You know, there's times where we can get fired about uh, up about many things. We can show passion when, we, when we're triggered. And yet so many times where the fire is lacking is where it matters the most. How's your fervency in your prayer? You know, how fervent are you on your knees kneeling before the Lord? How fervent are you in asking the Lord to help those who are going to come into conflict? You know, we ought to be praying for our university students. We ought to be praying for our students who are in different types of schooling and they're encountering different philosophies and different, uh, different, uh, different opinions about this and that. And, and we've got to pray. We've got to pray for our young people. We've got to pray for our kids who are growing up in, the, uh, in this age where so much information and actually misinformation is coming out and we've got to protect them. But, you know, how did Job build that hedge? He got up early in the morning. And just in case he sought the Lord, just in case his children were going to sin, just in case. And I hope we would have the mindset as individuals and thinking of those around us that we would fervently pray for others. That's how you're going to stand as an individual. But then it very quickly turns to the collective. Notice verse 12 again. He salutes them. He says, always laboring fervent for, fervently for you in prayers that ye, now he was referring to the church in Colossae, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And here he's putting on them the great burden. He's saying as a collective, this is your burden, that you would stand and really implied their stand together. And you know, we all, uh, we all understand that sometimes when you're standing alone, it is difficult, but it's even, it makes it much, much more comforting and it often gives you greater courage when you know others are standing along with you. And I hope that we would be a church and, and that we as a collective would just take a stand. And Epaphras' desire was for the church as a collective, that it would take a stand. You know, while it starts with, whilst it starts with one, there needs to be others who will take up the call and challenge to also stand. And, you know, I think about 
I think about just the, the act of standing. If you ever had to stand for a long time, you, you know. Um, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I, 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 I like donuts, all right? And many of you have been joking around, particularly young adults are saying, I can beat 24. Right? I still haven't seen it, by the way. But, um, you know, standing in line for four hours for something, and many people stand for a long time for different motivations, don't they? They'll endure it because they believe or they want the end thing. And many times it is difficult to stand as a Christian. And it is endurance. And it is a discipline. And it is times where you've got to deny yourself. And it is times where you've got to ignore the roaring lion that walks about seeking whom he may devour. There are times where you've got to take that stand regardless of the pressures that are external and the pressures that are internal. And yet... What so often has encouraged me when there's been a great sense of, I just want to sit down now and just bow out, is I look around and there's others standing. I look around and there are those in different cities I know who have greater pressures than I have to go through, and they're still standing. And they're just standing where they've always stood. And they're just standing on those, the, those eternal truths. And they're not compromising, although they're going through great difficulty and yet, what we have to understand is locally, we've got to look at each other and, and the challenge is there. We're to stand as a collective. We're to share that burden. And I think about in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, there's, there's, there's many gaps we look around across the country, we look around across the city, and we look around maybe even here. And I wonder if God's showing you a gap that you're meant to stand in. I wonder if there's a, there's a, there's a place for you that you should be filling and you're not. And what we found is there needs to be those who will stand as a collective. You know, if you've ever been to the War Memorial in Canberra, anyone ever been there? War Memorial, it's a great place. If you've never visited, it's worth the effort to go. But it's an amazing place. You see a lot of different stories. And a particular one, I think about, I read a, a, about a, a young man, Irving Thompson, who was uh, only 17 years old. He, he, was a, he was a part of the local high school and he played for the school in various sports. But, you know, he, he liked to hang out with his mates at the local swimming hole and often found it difficult to act remotely normal when, when uh, girls were around. But he wanted to help dad with, with the family business when he finished school. But life and all his plans had to be put on hold. See, it was 1915. And the Great War had called into action young men just like him. And thousands of teenage young men signed up for duty when the call was made for soldiers to fight. Why? Because they needed to approach it in the collective. And you know, uh, sometimes we forget as Christians that actually we're in warfare that we're in spiritual warfare and that every one of us is called to be a soldier. In fact, every one of us is called to fight a good warfare. And many times we just go about and there's a, because of the peacetime that we live in, we let our guards down and we sort of don't have a warfare mentality and I'm not saying be belligerent and violent. I'm saying fight the good fight. I'm saying the things that we know from Scripture we're supposed to come back to and, and, and there's a great call for a collective to rise up 
and to take a stand today. And you know, we need to stand as a collective. And the call was for any and all. He says that ye. He wasn't particularly, he was just thinking about the church in general. It was for any and all. You know, the reality is that the danger was, is indiscriminate. But so is the call to stand. All of us here, we, we, have, we can do more to take a greater stand. And yet the call was ambitious. Look at verse 12 again. He says that you may stand, and here, perfect. You know what that means? Whole. That means if there's deficiency, that we're to, to address that. That means a, a growing maturity. This wasn't a casual hobby. It, meant, it, it was a call to, be, to stand perfect and complete. And it, it wasn't a casual hobby. It called for the collective to stand perfect and complete. This has the idea of being disciplined and well-trained, of putting themselves in a place where they're well-prepared for the fight. You know, you think about those who stand, and, and probably famously, we know those in Buckingham Palace. And, and I'm not going to put my hand up, but has anyone ever been to Buckingham Palace? Right? There's all of those videos that you see people trying to distract the, the, the guards, right? With those big, big funny hats, right? And, and, and they stand there all day. They stand there for six-hour shifts. And, and they're not meant to move apart from taking a step here and there so they don't lose, uh, they don't lose energy. Uh, but you, you, you imagine the great discipline there, and you, you're thinking maybe this morning, man, that's a simple job. I'd do that. And they get paid pretty handsomely to, to stand there. But you know, those guards, they have to go through all of the, the same basic training as anyone who will join any other part of the, of the, uh, of the services. It, it says here, when you look at the application, and I looked it up this week, for guards at Buckingham Palace, and by the way, their, their main job is to stand, right? It is, first, they have to start with combat infantry course for 30 weeks. There you do basic training and then your infantry initial trade training. And then if you're aged under 17 years and six months, you'll do your basic training at, at a different place for 49 weeks. And then you'll go to complete your infantry, um, infantry training over 12 weeks. And then after that, you'll move to your foot guards battalion. And then, you're, then you go to concentrated periods of mission-specific training. All why? Because they needed to be prepared to stand. Why? Because it, it exacts a great toll. It exacts a great amount of endurance and effort to stand. And, and that's why so many times when there are those who are meant to stand, there's great, the, the, the cost is too great at times. And yet there's, there's that motivation of the fact that they belong to a group. They belong to an army. And I wonder if you look around and you see those who maybe they're, they're getting a little weary and you would just look around and say, hey, come on. Hey, come on, come with me. Let's stand together. Hey, listen, um, in, I see that you're, you're just getting weary with the, with the battle and you're, you just, why don't you just come alongside and, and come alongside someone who perhaps you look around and there's great weariness. And the call was ambitious, but also it was approved. Notice what the Bible says here. They were to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know, this idea of standing wasn't his idea. It was part of the will of God. 
it was an understanding of what God expected. And what I'm saying when it comes to standing for the Lord, standing isn't for nothing. Standing isn't just because that's what, no, it's the will of God. Someone's will is someone's desire. It's someone's instructions. It's someone's uh, understanding of, of, those, of his estate, what it's meant to be done. And I want to remind you this morning that we're bought with a price. And therefore, we're to glorify God with our bodies. And it's, it, it is imperative upon us as God's people that we know. And then we follow after the will of God for our lives. You know, it, it had to do with honoring his plan and wishes. You know, we used to play this silly game when we were near five and six. You know, you'd, you'd go in a circle and you, you, you kneel in front of the girl that you liked and they say, honey, if you love me, please don't stand. Right? And you're supposed to endure kneeling as long as you could and you'd sweat because, you know, that's because you're, you're, you're five and six. You don't know any better, right? But, you know, when it comes to it, God is looking at you. And he's saying, my beloved, if you love me, please stand. That's his will. That's his desire for you. His desire is that you don't fall away. His desire is that you're not quickly pushed over. His desire is that you would do all you can in your discipline to be perfect and complete in all the will of God. And Ephesians 5 verse 17 the Bible tells us, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then we know later in Ephesians 6, then he goes through that whole chapter of warfare. And so he says, you've got to understand the will of God if you're going to, know, if you're going to need to stand. If you're going to stand. In Colossians 1.9, early in this, same, in this same letter, for this cause we also, since the day... We heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Later on, he'll say that you might be grounded and settled. And so that idea of being strong in your stance for the Lord has to do with understanding that this is his will. That, what, that, that his will is that you endure. That his will is that as you're buffeted, with the influences of this world, that you would stand firm on the truths of the Word of God. You know, he, He's taking us out of the horrible pit from the miry clay and He's put your feet on the rock. Listen, it's not the, the problem isn't on the foundation. The problem is whether we would endure on that foundation. And so we would stand as a collective. But then notice verse 13. Again, referring to Epaphras, he says, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and that, that zeal was what drove the apostle to, uh, to, to consider all of the things that Epaphras was going through and to write. But notice his concern, and them that are in Laodicea and then them in Hierapolis. Notice this, this uh, notice that they, were, they belonged to this region. And, and you know, all of us here, we belong in a region we belong in a place where others can observe. And here's the last thing I want to say. If we're going to stand, we need to stand as individuals, stand as a collective. But we need to stand in our region. You know, there were others in other places, even nearby, that needed an example. And when you consider Colossae within the valley, it was situated about 16 kilometers above Laodicea. 
and another 10 kilometers north was Hierapolis, and these sister cities were considered larger and more important. So Laodicea and Hierapolis, they were considered more prominent. But, but notice who it was written initially here. In, it was the, the smaller one. It was the city of Colossae. It was in that place that God was, was calling those to take a stand, perfect and complete. And yet the reality is when you study history, within years of writing the letter of Colossae, the city was destroyed by an earthquake. Most uh, historians date this above uh, to to have occurred between 60 to 64 AD. And we note that later in the book of Revelation, that Jesus doesn't write to the church in Colossae. Who does he write to? Writes to the church in Laodicea. And so the church was gone. This backs the record of Colossae's subsequent destruction after the writing of this book. And, and, you know, the Bible says here and later down, he says, when this epistle in verse 16 is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And so there was all these, these, these letters being written. He's saying, this letter, read it to the church in Laodicea as well. And later on, we know Laodicea is still standing. And what I'm saying is we need to stand for our region. Why? Because we don't know how long we have. We don't know what's to come. We just have now. We just have this time. We just have this season of ministry and we just have this time to live a life for Christ and we don't know what will come. And, and he was exhorting them and perhaps under the influence of the Spirit, understanding what was to come, he was really saying to them, Make the most of your time. Stand while you can. Stand while I have you there. Stand while it's your time. And many times we take for granted the season that we're in and we take for granted where we're at now. And we think, well, we'll just, it'll get better. I'll have more opportunity. What if you don't? Because we don't know. And later on, Laodicea, thankfully, they had an example though. And that example for that season, I believe, was Colossae. And here's, here's the thing. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And you might be taking a stand right now. But here's, here's what you need to watch out for, pride. We need to watch out for pride. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And it might be that there were those, I think about many, many friends of mine, many mentors of mine who for a season they stood, but for now, I think sadly, I think what a lost opportunity, what a lost, uh, lost influence, and, and they didn't know. And we better not take for granted the time we've been given to stand. And our stand will affect those who are observing. I think about Stephen who um, at, the, at the point of death just was a witness to someone who was sitting there, Saul, who later on we know to be Apostle Paul. And, and we, I think about us today, we, sometimes we go through a little bit of persecution. Sometimes there's a test. And sometimes we think it doesn't matter whether we pass that test or not, but it does. Someone might be watching. 
And for me as a parent, I know there are those at least three watching me. I know as a pastor, there are at least those who are watching me. But you know, every day we have those that are observing. Will he stand? Will, he, will she stand for right? Will, will he stand when the pressure's on? And, and Colossae was a place where they were being observed. I think about my, my, my first, uh, well, my, my, one of my pastors, and remember there was a situation that was brewing. There were some who in the church were starting to rise up and, and say some things that weren't right. They, they were trying to pull away, and, and there were some, some real, uh, real mindsets that were not right. And, and I remember that man, he was 24 years old as my pastor at the time. And I remember when the pressure got to him, I remember him saying the words that Martin Luther said when he stood up against the, the, the church. He says, here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. And I remember him standing, I remember him saying that. And I remember God doing something in my heart at that point. And you know, he, the, 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 the pressure that he was under, the attacks that he was going through, the, the questioning that he went through that just wasn't, and yet he stood. And you know, all of us here, honestly, by and large, when it comes to our faith, we've had it pretty easy. You know, we live in a world, we live in a society that really we can still freely practice and freely live out our faith. But I think we're heading to a time where we're going to see. We're going to see if there will be us who will stand. We're going to need to see churches that will just continue to just put, their, put, put the authority on the Word of God and not on, not on creeds that appease the popular opinion of society. And we're going to have to pay the cost a little bit, but we better get ready to stand then. And I hope that as an individual, we just decide that it's worth it for the Lord. And that we would decide as a church, you know, we're going to stand on these and this is the direction we're going to take. And then we would see perhaps others encouraged. You know, if you've ever, if you've ever really thought about places that maybe you've been involved in, maybe the reality of a church closing. I've been in situations like that. And I think about the, the fallout, not just for that church, but for the influence and the, the encouragement that they've been. And, you know, while we have this season, let's take a stand. And while God has given us this time, let's make the most of it Let's stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time. And Lord, certainly, Lord, this time that you've given us to, to minister and to, Lord, to understand that, Lord, you've given us for such a time. And Lord, I do pray that you would put a great desire in our lives, dear Lord, in our hearts to have the courage to stand in our day. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to, Lord, also just have a, a, a mind that's ready and a heart that's willing, Lord, to be buffeted for you at, in, in, at times. And then, Lord, to see you, your word and to see your mission continue on in spite of it. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to be 
a church that will stand on the truths of your word. That, Lord, we won't compromise. That, Lord, we won't make decisions that will simply appease the masses, but, Lord, be, be genuine and true to you. And I pray, dear God, that we would be an example and an encouragement to our brethren around us. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you'd help us to understand our place in your work. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, we're going to have a time of invitation.